Blog Talk Radio. This is All About Wine, a talk show dedicated to the wine industry since 2009. Featuring winemaker, cellar master, vineyardist, and tasting expert, Ron. Ron. Basically what we're trying to do on this program is just trying to educate people and trying to make wine less confusing and more friendly. From coast to coast and around the world. You know, we really have had some some neat people on the program. I I just, I love that. Post your questions and comments during the live show on our Facebook page at www.facebook.com forward slash allaboutwinebtr. Again, that's www.facebook.com forward slash allaboutwinebtr. And now, All About Wine is is on. Thank you, most people. Thank you, thank you, thank you. The video, video didn't show up. Why didn't the video? Oh, really? Show up? Oh, yeah. That's uh. All right, hang on. Let me try something. All right, yeah. I have to knock it off real quick. Well, there it is. Of course. Oh. Okay. It's working. Oh, let me. There we go. It's working. It's it just didn't. Uh... <laughs> didn't show it to you. That's all. Yeah. yeah. Okay. No, it didn't show it online. It didn't. Uh, it was nothing. I. I mean, I. I saw it local, but it never went to um, stream the uh, streamlabs. Okay. Well, anyway. Oh, that's all. Hello, folks. It's you know it's the new year, new problems. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. You know, it's, it's always. You know they say. Uh, yeah. They always say, uh, like, New Year, New You. Well, this is New Year, New Problems. New so problem. welcome to the show. <laughs> yeah. Oh, joy. Well, that's what we get mm-hmm. for being live. Uh, yes. Yeah. We uh, have Although, our... Uh, I was offered, uh, was it la- after last week's show or the week before? I forgot what it was, but uh, someone emailed me and said, oh, I edit podcasts and, you know, went through this whole bit and stuff and, you know, I can make it sound uh, uh, smooth with no gaps and yeah, but then it doesn't sound natural. I've heard, yeah. I've heard shows that are, there's, there's some editing that's good, but when it's constant and the, they don't let the, the, the broadcaster act natural or breathe or, you know, they took everything out. Oh, I've heard shows like that. Yeah. It's like, it's just a constant, <laughs> like a, um, you know when they read the fine print uh, after a you know a car commercial or something? Oh like, yeah. I've got to wait. I'm not going to do that. The tax title lesson's not a clue. It's like stop. It's a podcast. Make it sound natural. <laughs> yeah. It's, God, it's, it's no. I don't want you to edit this. It's it's live, and that's that's why it's you know it is. That's um, why you know we we are but, uh, what we are on it. I think we're one of the few yeah. that do live broadcasts. I every. Yeah. Everybody we've talked to and everyone we've seen all that, and they have lists of podcasts for wines and different things. And I think we yeah. are one of the very few that actually do it live. Yeah. So, um, oh, which, uh, well, it has its moments. Uh, there's, there's some times where you're like, uh, no. And then uh, all of a sudden it's, you know, yeah, it happens. It's a live show. That's why. Yeah. Um, but, uh, I know, I know personally because I've edited them, you know, a couple before. We've done, you know, the ones on Saturday or or some special show where we're not actually oh. on yet. Uh, right. I've edited those, and and for a 
a 45 minute or an hour show, it can take two to, you know, three hours just to get, get it edited uh, and, wow. and get all that out of there because you're, you're going through every line and then you have to back up and, you know, mark the, the uh, audio and yeah, it's, it's a process and it's, uh, um, I've edited shows like that and it's like, Oh my gosh, yeah, this, this will take it's forever. A lot of work. Um, yeah. a lot of work. It is. Um, yeah. Yeah, but, uh, uh, anyway, yeah, we're, we're we're live, people. This is this is what yes. you hear. Yeah, that's <laughs> that's, <it. laughs> you know, that's why yep. we have glitches. That's why we uh, look back mm-hmm. over the years and not have audio <clears throat> or not have uh, one of us on. The other ones, you know, the only one on. We've had shows where they've cut us off. There's all all sorts of things because we are live. Yeah. And if we weren't yeah. live, we wouldn't have that. Mm. So, that's right. Yeah, uh, and it does. yeah one of the <laughs> unique things about All About Wine. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, first show of the new year. This is the first show of the new year. Now today's the fifth. And so, all right. We went into yet another year of retrospect over the past year nah that's too much of a hassle you know uh if you listen to all about wine we don't need to do a retrospect and if you don't listen to all about wine all you need to do is go to archives and you can listen to them all the way back to the first show i believe is still on still on Um, yeah there's still in archives yeah and listen to all of our glitches and listen to all the you know the things and you know so. <laughs> but this past year we've had some good guests on we've had uh periods where we didn't have guests we you know talked to uh different people we've strayed away from it a little bit and had an all cigar show which was fun and and we talked about cigars and it's a good combination cigar and wine that's why i brought him on a group of guys we had uh cap kaplowitz that was on uh, as a guest and and, uh, when cap was on uh, i got to meet him and the guys that were part of his cigar group and bloggers and all that i got to meet all those and that's why we decided to have a cigar show this past year. And it it was good. We were getting some good numbers on it, and people seem to enjoy it and all that. We haven't gotten any nasty emails about it, so uh, it turned out well. But we've uh, covered a whole bunch of stuff and a whole bunch of news and all sorts of stuff over the past year. And we're not done. We've got a whole bunch of stuff to cover and a whole bunch of news and a whole bunch of guests and all that coming up for 2023. So we're still here. We're still kicking the can down the road and continuing on doing this. Uh, so hope you enjoy it and keep up listening. And if you have any suggestions, you can always get a hold of us on the email, allaboutwine101 at gmail.com, and give us your suggestions or comments or anything. Very few people do that, though. That's you know That's okay. I mean, you must like it out there, and you must enjoy what we do, and you're not compelled to write, which is fine. Um, So, a new year, new show tonight. Next week, we have a guest. The following week, we have a guest. The following week, we have a guest. So, we have guests coming up in the next three weeks. 
Uh, next week, Jen Pelka. The following week is Jessica Kogan. And then the 26th is Jody. And, you know, I would tell you Jody's last name, but I don't have it written down here, and I'm not going to look it up right now. I uh, I think I'm going for surgery on the 26th, too. I'm pretty sure, yeah. 19th, uh, a minor surgery. I have a what they call a mucus cyst on my middle finger of my left hand. And it looks like just a great big pimple popping up out of uh, the front joint, of the, the top joint of the finger. What that is, is your finger separates a little bit and the fluids in your joint comes out and pushes up and it moves the skin up and you get this pimple looking thing. Only it's a lot more nasty than a pimple. And it's full of fluids and stuff. I went to the doctor and I said, I'm thinking about taking a needle and just stabbing this and draining it out. And he goes, no, don't do that. That's not a good thing to do. He says, I'll send you to a hand doctor. So I got an x-ray and went to a hand doctor. And hand doctor explained it, a mucus cyst. Very common. It's, it's from arthritis. And I do have a little bit of arthritis. In fact, you know, I've had gout and stuff, which is all part of arthritis. And I had one doctor tell me that it's all part of Agent Orange, too, which causes the stuff to flare up. And I've been exposed to Agent Orange in Vietnam and all that. So this mucus cyst, uh, doctor told me when I went and saw him if back in October, he said, if you want it removed, he said, we can remove it. He said, oh, it's up to you. And I said, well, I said, I play golf. I don't want to take time off to have it removed and miss any golfing. And so he says, okay. So if it bothers you, call. And it started to bother me. Oh, boy, did it ever. I put the golf glove on, and it hurt. I swing the golf club, and it would hurt. And it was not a good thing. So I called the doctor, and I've got a blood test and EKG, not next week, but the week after. And then the following week, the 26th, I will have my finger operated on. And what they do is they cut it open and remove all the fluid and everything, clean it out, and then uh, put a splint on uh, two fingers so I can't move them until it's well. Then I go back a couple of weeks later, they check it, and the splint comes off. I don't know, I guess then or maybe so, but I will be missing a month of golf. <laughs> but it's better than the pain this finger is giving me. So there you go. Uh, we are all about wine, but I just noticed the dates there, and I had a little note, and I wanted to share that with you. I will be on the 26th, and all those dates is not going to keep me from talking, but it's going to keep me from golf. Just general information tonight for you. Uh, first show of the year, and we're just going to talk about a few things. Wine Spectator Magazine. I don't know which one you've got that, but they have... Wine of the Year, and for 2022, and uh, it's, you know, a lot of these things that they have, Wine of the Years and stuff like that, is subjective. Uh, I was talking to the guys about the cigars of the year and stuff, and what was number one, and uh, all that different stuff. And 
it's it's fun and it's all that, but most of the time you're not going to find them, and if you do find them, you're not going to get them because they're too much money. And obviously, I'm talking to the to the crowd that I think listens to the show. Some of you may have the money, and some of you may want to jump out and get the the wine of the year. But you know, number one is Schrader Cellars uh, Cabernet Sauvignon is going to run you eighty dollars. Uh, number two is for Terro de Barbie, uh, and it is going to run you 130. Then an HDV Chardonnay, 78 Chateau Talbot, 65, and Antonori Tuscan is 145. Robert Mondavi Cab, 85 Chateau de Bocasso is 121. Victoria Love Pupil is uh, another Tuscano wine, $100. Number nine, Colcita Creek Cabernet Sauvignon out of Columbia Valley, $200. And number 10, Louis Rador Brut Champagne Cristal for $359. Yeah, okay. They may be great for those prices. You've got to expect them to be great. But... Most people aren't going to get those. Most people aren't going to buy them. And they, most of them are in, in limited edition anyway, limited uh, cases. So that's another thing that's going to uh, stop you from getting it. If you do try them, if you do, if you do, do a number one or any of the top ten, I tell you again, email me. Let me know what it's like. If it was, if it was enjoyable, if it was worth it, what did you? detect in it. You don't have to use any fancy wine master words or anything, but just email me and let me know. But I I just I have a problem with a lot of these top ten lists at the end of the year. Be it wine or, or anything. I just think that it's so subjective. I really should make a top ten list of Here's the ones you can go down to your local grocery store and pick up, and these are decent. They're going to run you anywhere from ten to twenty dollars. You know, I mean, I, I think it's better. Um, top there is ten years of top tens, the most exciting wines of the decade from 2012 to 2021, and I'm just going to let you know the first one here. Back in 2012. Uh, it was a California Napa Red, sixty dollars. Twenty thirteen, it was a Spanish Grand Reserva, uh, sixty three dollars. Twenty fourteen, it was a Dow Vintage Port, eighty two dollars. Twenty fifteen, was a California Cabernet from Oakville, Peter Michael Cab, one hundred ninety-five dollars. Twenty sixteen, a ninety-dollar Cabernet from Napa. Twenty seventeen, a ninety-eight-dollar Cab from Napa. Twenty eighteen uh, was a uh, let's see, Tenuta uh, San Guido uh, Bulgari Sassacia. 2015 for $245. Chateau Ville Burton St. Julian for uh, $2019, $98 for 2020. 
It was a, a Rojo Ford 139 and then 2021 uh, Dominus Estate Napa Valley for $269. Now, people aren't going to buy those. People aren't going to taste those. People aren't going to go out and pick it up because it's number one. It's nice and it's great and all that, but you have a very limited group of people that are actually going to try that stuff. And I, I get chances every once in a while to try different wines that are very expensive, and it's great and they're wonderful, but they're subtle nice things about them and they're you know but most people don't so all right enough of my ranting about number one list at the end of the year and how they just don't give people a chance to really try and because of it. i really should make a list of of wine that you should get that's less than twenty dollars because there are some great ones out there and you don't have to spend a whole lot of money to get some great wines that are enjoyable. And if I do a list, then I can say, then you can say, oh, I did a number one wine, and it was good. Yeah. So there you go. I'm, I might do that. You know, I might not though. So read our Facebook page, and if I do do it, I'll put it up there. Something I saw in the San Francisco Chronicle that. I thought was very interesting, and I it was in last Sunday's Chronicle. I'm going to read it to you because it's just easier to read it to you than it is to try to um, paraphrase the thing all the way through. But, and I've talked about this before, that's why I want to read this. The article is entitled, Has Wine Country Became Too Expensive for Its Own Good? Yeah, but you know, that, that doesn't what the article says. I'll just read to you. And, and like I say, I've talked to you about this before and how it's all getting expensive all that. But, I mean, let me go through this. And this is by... Uh, Esther Mobley, who is the San Francisco Chronicle's senior wine critic. So, and if you want to get a hold of her, emobley, M-O-B-L-E-Y, at sfchronicle.com. But, excuse me, it says, One thing became very clear over the course of this year. Visiting wine country has gotten really expensive. How expensive? Staying in a hotel in Yauntville for one night in June would have cost you $934 on average, $200 more than the prior year. Booking an elevated wine tasting in Napa Valley cost, on average, $82.26 per person, as opposed to $30 six years ago. These were among the eye-popping statistics that my colleague Jess Lander and I discovered in our reporting this year. Of course, it's not just wine country. Everything is getting more expensive these days, as you've undoubtedly noticed at the gas pump and at the grocery checkout line. Prices overall in the Bay Area, again, the San Francisco Bay Area, were 6% higher in October than the previous year according to the Consumer Price Index. 
but it's worth pausing to consider the particular implications of these exploding costs in Napa and Sonoma, which were already marching toward higher end, or as the wine industry likes to say, premium goods and services. These are places with complicated, maybe even contradictory relationships to luxury. Wineries deliberately cultivate rarefied auras, depend on tourism and by nature cater to customers with disposable income. Yet, simultaneously, prided itself on being a farming community, a place built on humble multi-generational family businesses. As Jess and I were reminded many times this year, this community seriously bristles at any implications of elitism. This contradiction, if not new, came under a glaring light in 2022, and it may soon become untenable for wine country. Readers often write to us with nostalgic recollections of going wine tasting in the 70s, 80s, and 90s when tastings were free or, at most, $5. I wasn't in the Bay Area in those days, but I've witnessed monumental changes in just the last decade. As an aside here, yes, I was in the Bay Area back in the uh, 70s and early 80s, and yes, it was phenomenal. Uh, You can go to wine country and travel around and... uh, most of them gave you tastings for free and didn't really question it too much. And one of the things that stopped this was people started to discover that you can rent yourself a limo for, say, $150 for a day, and you can pack 10 people into that limo. So you've got 10 people in a limo for the day at $150, you got $15 per person, and they'd have the limo take you up to Napa, and you jump into a winery, you drink, and then get back in the limo and go to the next winery and drink, and uh, if they did charge you, uh, it was very minimal, and so you'd have 10 people that was drinking throughout Napa at uh, for free, basically, and they'd have the limo driver drive them back down to San Francisco or wherever they were from, and that would be the day. And when you started to have 10, 15 limos pull up to your winery a day and you were pouring all these drinks for free, and they weren't buying a whole bunch if they bought anything at all. They were just out for uh, you know for $15, $20, uh, whatever it cost them. Uh, You can drink all day, and that would be it. So the winery said, we've got to stop, stop this. We've got to start charging for our tasting. So they started to put prices on it and reduce the amount of wine that they would pour. And this resulted in stopping of the limo tours. And it still didn't cut down on the, some of the other things. I mean, they'd have busloads of people come in, but then they would always charge and the buses would have a tour thing that would go on. When I had the winery up in Land Lakes, uh, I bus tours come in there too. And the buses always call us before and tell us, you know, about what time there's going to be there and 
Then when the bus pulled in, I'd go out and I'd tell them, okay, everyone, this is what we're going to be doing today. This is what's going to cost you, and this is what's going to do. If you don't want to take a tasting, then that's fine. But, you know, if you are going to do a tasting, this is how much it's going to cost. And people were understandable, and they became understandable in Napa, in Sonoma, because of the cost and everything. But... To move on to her article here, I moved to Napa in 2011 for a harvest internship at a winery. I found a cheap room for rent on Craigslist, and when I showed up, it was my first time setting foot in Napa Valley. Everything here was new and amazing to me. The endless expanse of vineyards as I drove up the Silverado Trail, the taste of a ripe, bitter-skinned berry off the vine, the melty carnitas and the tacos at La Luna Market. We did not have carnitas like that in Massachusetts. Every chance we got, my fellow harvest interns and I would go tasting at other wineries. This almost never required a reservation and was usually free for us, since wineries tended to comp the tastings of other local industry folks. As an aside again here, most wineries still do that. If you work at a winery and uh, let them know, they usually comp your tasting now or give you reduced rates or stuff like that. I always did at the winery, and most of them still do. Uh, most wineries, I don't know, Napa might be a little bit different because, you know, if you go in there, you probably have to prove that you work for somebody, and they'll probably reduce it a little bit. But most of the places around the country, if you let them know you work at a winery, they usually your tastings. But to continue, most tasting rooms back then were mere rooms, the sort of places where you'd saddle up to a bar and chat casually with the staff while they poured a series of small samples. You never needed to plan ahead for this. You just started driving and pull off whatever, uh, wherever looked interesting. That's how I tasted my way up and down Highway 29 and all through Hillsburg's west side road. 29 is the main road, obviously, that runs through Napa and through uh, 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 St. Helen and uh, from the south all the way up. And then the west side road is parallel to it that also has a bunch of wineries. Continue. Once I had an out-of-town friend visiting, and we wanted to check out Robert Mondavi Winery, but we thought twice once we saw the fee for a basic tasting and tour, $5. That seemed unspeakably expensive. In the end, we splurged, and it was worth it. A winery with any of these elements, a mere $25 fee, a walk-in friendly policy, a standing bar, would now be an outlier in Napa Valley. Where the, re- where the reigning model for winery visitation has transformed completely in the last decade. And it was transforming. Last time I was out to Napa was 10 years ago, I guess it's been now. Yeah, 10 years ago. And uh, it was changing then. It was um, um, becoming different although you can still go to Paso Ropos and a lot of the little small wineries and little small tasting rooms down there. And I mean small. These 
uh, a lot of places like Paso Robles and Monterey, if you get away from the main drag and you go back up to the hills and stuff, you will find little small wineries that consist of, you know, five or six acres and they're making a couple of wines and they taste it on a couple of barrels with a board across it in their garage and that is the tasting facility and it's really cool and it's rather intimate and you know they they might charge you but they only make a couple of wines and so they don't mind pointing just a little bit of that and they are without question very delicious and you do end up buying a couple of them but uh, like I said, that's the last time I was been out there. They, some of that may have changed now, too, as far as I know. I haven't been out in Napa much to my dismay in quite a few years. But to continue, uh, let's see. Where was I? Oh, there I was. While the reigning model for wine visitation has transformed completely in the past decade, Today, you'd be more likely to end up seated privately with your group in a secluded lounge or cabana to munch on food pairings prepared by a lauded chef to be attended to by a personal wine educator and to pay $82.26 or more for it. You'd have planned it all well in advance, securing reservations that can fill up quickly and would probably limit yourself to two wineries per day since you'd expect to spend a couple of hours at each stop. This transformation was underway before COVID, but COVID confirmed to many wineries that seeing fewer visitors but charging a higher fee to them was a more profitable model than allowing scores of people to flow in with a low cost of entry. The higher tasting fees isn't itself the revenue driver, is simply a gatekeeper, filtering out the customers who are unlikely to buy a case of wine or just want to get drunk. And that's what I was explaining to you earlier. That's happened a lot in Napa. Um, a lot of people up there that don't want to spend the money, but they just want to go around and taste it. Everybody has to go to Napa at least once. Let me, you know go on again a little bit here. You have to go to Napa. If you've never been to Napa, then you know, make it one of your trips. San Francisco is a gorgeous city. There's a lot of cool things around San Francisco. I love San Francisco as a city. Uh, my favorite city in the world is San Francisco. Boston is number two on my list. But if you've never been to San Francisco, it is uh, something that I highly suggest that you visit San Francisco. It's really a cool city. And while you're there, you can make a trip up to Napa or Sonoma or even on up to the Redwoods, which is a little bit further north from there. Or you can make a trip over to Lake Tahoe and gamble a little bit at uh, uh, Tahoe and the Nevada side. And that's really very pretty. And... You can also take a trip south to Monterey and a uh, quick trip some miles down the uh, coastal highway, uh, Big Sur, an area. It's just it's a, a gorgeous area. In a week there, you can travel a day north, a day uh, east, and a day south and just see some beautiful country. But 
Napa should be one of your stops. You you really need to see Napa at least once in your life. Just like I've always told people, you need to see Disney World at least once in your life or Disneyland. But since I live in Florida, it's Disney World. And once is enough. Same thing with Napa. Once is enough. Once you've been there and you've seen it and you can say, I've been to Napa and or I've been to Disney World or, you know, I've been to the Spokane Needle or, you know, Grand Canyon. Once you see them, you, you, you've seen it once, and that's sufficient. It doesn't change when you go back and see it again. And Napa is changing, and it's getting expensive and all that, but you can go to other areas around there that is better. I Livermore is great, and so is uh, Paso Ropos just south. Uh, Monterey area's got wineries, uh, as does the foothills heading east uh, out of Sacramento, there's wineries up there. They're, they're everywhere, and they're a close, easy drive, and you don't have to spend a whole lot of time at each of the wineries, but it's you've seen Napa, so you don't need to go there. So, okay. Going back to the article. Who can blame the wineries? They're all hurting due to astronomical rises in their own cost from newly exorbitant wildfire insurance to glass bottles. Bottles are outrageous, too, as another aside. A labor shortage in wine country means that employees can command more money, which may lead to price increases. It also means wineries are finding fewer people to employ, which has led many estates to in-state by, uh, in by appointment-only policies since they can't host as many customers. There are real, eminently justifiable reasons why wineries and hotels and restaurants are charging more. It's not greed. It's just to keep them afloat. Whatever the intention, however, the point stands that the region is growing ever more inaccessible for a larger number of Californians and tourists. And she doesn't put that here, but that's for anybody who goes out there. It might not be anyone's person's or group's fault, but it's still a shame. Indeed, fewer people are assess, accessing wine country. And one of the in one of the most read wine stories the Chronicle published this year, just reported that businesses throughout the Napa and Sonoma counties were seeing a major slowdown during the summer a disappointment for those who expected a post-COVID tourism surge. This seemed related to the rising prices, but it was unclear exactly how. Were fewer people, were fewer people visiting because prices had risen, or did businesses have to charge higher prices because there were seeing fewer customers? Either way, it's undeniable that wine country is leaning into an ever more luxurious identity, a move that's bolstered by data showing that Americans overall are buying higher priced wine than they used to. And when I read that, I'm thinking, okay, well, that's probably true, but prices have went up. So if you're just looking at the overall price of wines, then people are buying more expensive wines simply because the bottle you used to pay 
$8 for is now up to $18. Like I just said, all the prices in this article said the price of glass and stuff like this. A, uh, labels are more expensive. Capsules are more expensive. Corks are definitely more expensive. Bottles is outrageous how much it's costing now. And all this stuff is getting more expensive and so you can't sell it for the same price you did and expect to make any type of profit. So all these things are going up and all these things are taking its toll on everything and especially the wineries. So uh, Americans are buying more expensive wines, higher price, but you know, maybe it's because things are more expensive. Buying less but buying better quality seems to be the reigning trend. Wineries, like any business, are right to respond to this. Yet some people in wine countries seem to be in denial about this transformation. Anytime we published a story drawing attention to higher prices in the region, we received an angry barrage of responses from people who live and work in Napa and Sonoma counties resistant to the perceived characterization of their home as a playground for the wealthy. I never quite knew what to make of this type of reaction, since it seemed to me an irrefutable fact that prices were rising, not a subjective judgment. This is where that puzzling contradiction comes in. It makes sense to me from a business perspective that wine country should embrace the idea that it's a luxury destination. Luxury, if you can afford it, is enjoyable. I, and I can't help but think about Disney and the prices at Disney. I mean, it's, again, you need to go to Disney at least once, be it Disney World or be it Disneyland. But the prices there have jumped up again, and they continue to jump up. And between Christmas and New Year, Disney had to close their doors at about 10 o'clock in the morning, I think, because they were so full. And you're looking at ticket prices there now of $180, I think, per person. Uh, you know, and there's so many people going in there, and that's just to get in the gate. That's not for anything else. That's just to enter the gate and have rides. If you want to eat or anything like that, it's going to, it's going to cost you. So. You know, Disney is along that line too. You know, if you you know family of four. You're looking at dropping just in a day at Disney of a good thousand dollars, probably, and it's something that is in a higher luxury category, I suppose you can say. And wine country is becoming that way. Uh, she continues. I love many of the wine tastings I've experienced in the secluded cabanas, the soft morsels of gourmet that get delivered with the welcoming glass of Blanc de Blanc, the leisurely pace of it all, the personalized attention. Wineries are charging $80 plus fees for a reason. When it's all done well, I'm usually happy to pay it. At the same time, I'll never stop feeling a little pang when I think about the salad days of going wine tasting in 2011 when I think about how easy Napa felt then. I wish all my readers could be back there with me. Wine country 
is one of America's treasures, a destination that can reveal a unique window into geology, gastronomy, history, sheer natural beauty. I wish everyone could walk through a vineyard at harvest time and discover what a wine grape tastes like. It will ruin supermarket grapes for you forever. I wish everyone could drive up Howell Mountain Road and look out on the crazy quilt of the valley in peak golden light. On the bright side, a Cornitas taco at La Luma Market is still only $3.49. So, it's getting expensive. Napa is expensive. It's, and she pointed out some good things, too. I mean, to go and see the vineyards, see the vineyards in fall and the color changes of all the grape vines and all the leaves and all that, or to see the vineyard when you're getting bud break and uh, they're blooming and it just it, it's really cool and see the rows and rows and rows of vineyards you drive down to central valley and see rows and rows and rows of vineyards those aren't wine vineyards mostly those are raisin vineyards but they're still grapes they're still vineyards and it's still cool to see the uh the structure all the grape vines on the vines and stuff uh it's a an image that you carry with you for or for your life. Or for your life. And well, what happened there? I'm getting feedback for some reason. Um, you hear it? You didn't hear it? Yeah, I I got it on this end. But it's uh, and it's not just Napa. I I say that. I mean, if you live in New York, if you uh, go up to the Finger Lakes areas, you see that there too. A uh, little different sceneries, a little different uh, approach, but it's there too in the Finger Lakes. And you can also do that in a lot of places around this country, but it's still not Napa. It's still not California. And California has made a a business out of it, made a name out of it that you can't argue. You can go up to Oregon, you can go to Washington, you can find the same things up there. Uh, now, almost every state in the nation has uh, grapevines that you can visit and vineyards you can visit. But again, it's not Napa. But Napa has became a little bit elite, it seems like, from what they're saying. I haven't been out there since the prices went up. And, uh, you know, they a lot of them do waive their fees if you buy wine, if you buy fees are, but they'll waive their fees if you buy so many bottles or if you buy a case or stuff, they'll waive their tasting fees. So, uh, it's, uh, it's not going to get better. It's only going to get worse. But I saw that article and I wanted to share that with you because I've talked about the prices there in San Francisco before, or in Napa before, and how it's gotten insane. And speaking of San Francisco, they've just had a river, uh, atmospheric river. Uh, I'm not saying that right. I know I'm not. Uh, oh, geez. I'm looking forward to hearing. I know it's. Uh, hmm. Uh, but. There's something else I saw, and this is on the San Francisco Chronicle also. 
and I thought this was interesting. Uh, I'll go through this, read this to you also, and uh, just to point out again prices. It says a $17 glass of wine is normal at Bay Area restaurants now. And here's why. Now, this is not a bottle. This is a glass. When the late Zuni Cafe owner Judy Rogers was alive, she had a directive at her restaurant's wine director. There should always be plenty of wines available for $12 a glass. Now the $12 glasses became elusive, said Zuni wine director Thierry Lovato. His new affordable wine benchmark is $14, which is the lower end of the range on Zuni's current by-the-glass list. Whereas in 2016, the average glass of wine at Zuni was $13.73, it's now $17.40. That's average. The trajectory of wine glass prices at Zuni's is reflective of restaurants throughout the Bay Area. Similar hikes have occurred at restaurants like Rich Table, 1381 average in 2016 up to 1735 in 2022, and NOPA, 1294 in 2016, 1811 in 2022. And they also show a little chart here on this article to show how the prices have continued to climb and what did for 2023 on some of them. This industry-wide trend is not necessarily reflective of restaurants taking a higher margin on wine sales. Rather, it's due largely to the fact that the cost of wine has skyrocketed. It's very simple, said Lovato. It's been harder to serve the things we used to serve because the price has gone through the roof and has everything. I mean, Mention something else here. I, I was talking to my wife the other day, my engineer, if you will, and I said, you know, we, we've lived through price increases our whole life. We've seen prices go up and different things here and there, and they, you know, over years period of time, prices will increase a little bit. I said, but it seems like in the last three or four months, prices have jumped so much, so fast. It's just uh, precedented, totally unprecedented. Uh, they, you go down to the store to buy something, you go, "Whoa, wasn't this, you know, a quarter cheaper last week, or wasn't this in a bigger bag last week for the same price?" And it's just, I've never seen my, in my whole life this type of uh, price increases. But okay, by nearly every metric, dining out is more expensive than it used to be. Food prices were more than 10% higher in November 2022 than in November 2021. And food away from home prices, uh, food that you don't purchase at grocery stores, are expected to rise an additional 4 to 5% in 2023. But the price of a glass of wine at many Bay Area restaurants has spiked more dramatically than overall food costs. Between 2016 and 2022, at restaurants like Zuni, Rich Table, Kukari, and Chez Panis, the average glass of wine 
rose 20 to 25 percent. At some point in the last seven years, a $17 glass of wine started to seem normal. Certain wines that consumers always clamor for, like Cabernet Sauvignon from Napa Valley, are becoming especially inaccessible. To find a good bottle of Napa Cab for $18 a glass is getting difficult, said William Balmer, who is the general manager of Kakari. Champagne, a perennial popular order at Zuni, presents a similar dilemma. Back in 2016, Lovato was able to offer glasses of champagne for $16. Now, he said, it's nearly impossible to find bottles that he can list for less than $22 a bottle. And one of them currently on the list uh, of champagnes at Zuni's is $35. I said 22 bottle. No, it's 22 per glass. And one of them at Zuni's is currently listed at $35 per glass. Yeah, that's one of those, wait, what? It's just uh, staggering. And they show some prices here of Zuni's 2016. Prices ran from 10 to $16. In 2022, the prices ran from 14 to $35. Rich Table Restaurant, 11 to 19 and 16 and 13 to 25 in 22. Nopa, 9 to 15, now 11 to 18. And, oh, wait a minute, that's... <laughs> No, uh, Nopa, 9 to 15 in 2016, and in 2022, averages between 14 and 45. Kukari, 7 to 22, and 22, it's 12 to $25. Chaz Paness, 6 to 23, now 12 to 26. And Mr. G's, 12 to 20, now 14 to 18. They've kept their prices down. Many factors have contributed to rising wine costs in recent years. The cost of materials necessary to the winemaking process, like oak barrels, corks, and glass bottles, have exploded. In some cases, glass bottle prices have more than doubled, which it doesn't surprise me that it's not more than that. Low-yielding grape harvests, whether caused by wildfires in California or adverse weather events like hailstorms in Europe, have forced some wine producers to charge more. European wineries are facing higher energy costs due to the war in Ukraine. That's to say nothing of the cost of shipping wine to the U.S. from overseas, which ballooned because of supply chain disruptions and have still not returned to pre-pandemic levels. Pricing wine by the glass in a restaurant is a complex calculation. The standard equation is that a glass of wine should be equal to the wholesale cost of the bottle. The restaurant paid $15 to a wine distributor for a bottle of Sauvignon Blanc. It would then charge $15 for a glass of that Sauvignon Blanc. Bottles of wine at restaurants, meanwhile, are usually listed at two or three times the wholesale cost. Alcohol is a major profit driver at most restaurants, though Lovato clarified that liquor is more profitable than wine. Spirits have a much longer shelf life once opened, and there's always a risk that some wine in the bottle will go unserved before it goes bad. 
deviations from the stand that standard equation very widely. Cheap wines may get marked up by a higher percentage than expensive wines as a way of keeping expensive wines somewhat affordable. Some restaurants may be able to get better deals than others from their wine supplier and pass those savings on to their customers. A restaurant like Nopa, which sells a lot of wine, may be in a better position to bargain with a distributor for a better price because they can buy wine in higher volumes than a smaller, slower place can. We could realistically go through a case of wine by the glass in a day or two. Morehouse, uh, whose wine director is Napa said, or Nopa, but was that was a bargaining chip with distributors. Newer restaurants face additional hurdles because they're more likely to have expensive leases than their counterparts who have been in the same space for many years. Italian spot Polenteria, which opened in Los Gatos in July, shows an average cost of $17.90 per glass on its current list. Sovia's new wine bar in Dogpatch, which opened in August, Show 1770 on average. If these young restaurants want to stock rare, collectible, older vintages, they're probably paying a premium for those from the importers, as opposed to established restaurants that bought those same wines years ago at a lower price and kept them in the cellar. Some wine directors may be manipulating or I'm sorry, maintaining, not manipulating, maintaining the appearance of a reasonable price by pouring less wine per glass, uh, said Brian, who has always instructed his staff to pour a full six ounces. But when dining out at other places recently, he has watched as sommeliers pour him what he estimates to be closer to four ounces. He has an eye for these things, he says. It's easy to say, see why that math would appeal to restaurants. Let's say the bottle costs $20 wholesale, so the restaurant is charging $20 per glass. If it pours four ounces of a glass, it would get about six glasses out of the bottle, so it would make $127 on the bottle, as opposed to pouring six-ounce pours, making only $85. Although Bomber says, if you're going to give me a four-ounce glass of wine, I'm going to feel cheated. Not all wines are subject to the same inflationary forces. California Cabernet Sauvignon, California Pinot Noir, Champagne, and Burgundy have shown some of the starkest increases. Lovato said entry-level Champagne now costs him $50 a bottle wholesale, up from 35 a few years ago. Even Beaujolais, long regarded as the affordable alternative to red burgundy wines, now cost him more than $30 a bottle wholesale, up from 20 For adventurous drinkers willing to try a glass from a less famous wine region, however, it's still possible to find good values when dining out. $20 or more a glass, but other sparkling wines like French Grumet and Italian Prosecco can routinely be had for $15 or less. And Kokori, a Greek restaurant, can offer excellent Greek wines for a fraction of what similar quality American wines might cost. A glass of Machofilero, which I destroyed that name, a perfume floral smelling Greek white grape variety will set you back just $12. 
Well, everywhere. Uh, and in California is, is just being slammed by cost increases, as is everyone is. If you're planning on going out and ordering a glass of wine, uh, expect at least three times a retail. That's You see the, the markup three times. And so it's, you know, some of them can get rather expensive. Some uh, restaurants will let you bring in your own wine. They will probably charge you a corkage fee, which simply means that you bring in the wine, you give it to the uh, waiter or somebody when you walk in, and then they will come over and they will present it to you like it's their own and uncork it and all that. And it'll they charge you a corkage fee. I've heard of corkage fees anywhere from 10 to $25. And it would not surprise me if there are more now because it's gotten a little crazy. But uh, if you're going out and you have a special wine, if you have an anniversary or something come up and you have a special restaurant and they don't serve your wine, and you have one that you, uh, you and the, the significant other is close or uh, fond of and they don't serve it, Call them and ask them if, they have, if you can bring your own wine in, if they have a corkage fee or anything. And you can set up the very pleasant evening that way. But when you go out, expect to say, and I've heard people tell me, and this was, so oh, geez, five or six years ago, I've heard people tell me that they have been to restaurants in New York City that are charging four and five times retail. I mean, I three times okay, we're used to it, and I can understand, but when you start getting four and five times retail, it's just like, oh, my gosh, you know, that's rather expensive, uh, to say the least. So, uh, But expect to pay wine. It's getting expensive. And a bomb cyclone, that's what I was trying to think of, a bomb cyclone. And the God hit northern california got hit with one last week they're coming up and getting hit with one right now i think it's hitting now and they've got another one's out in the uh pacific that's heading toward them so they are getting inuated with water which is not good for the vineyards although they are the vineyards are all dormant which is one good thing about it it's not going to affect that but uh uh too much water is not good uh, form and it could actually if the ground is saturated and is set in water it could drown the grapevine they they do need to breathe as does everything so I if I see anything about vineyards being affected by their bomb cyclones that are going through then I will definitely pass it on to you so here we are almost I was just reading I was just reading about uh, the atmospheric river, uh, which uh, I'm looking at uh, reports from today, yesterday, and uh, Tuesday. It looks like a level five storm and um, caused uh, the Golden Gate Bridge to be closed due to high winds. A state of emergency was declared. Uh, Bay Area counties were under a state of emergency. Uh, SFO, uh, uh, San Francisco International, was grounded. Um, NOAA sent a hurricane hunter into the storm uh, to uh, check out atmospheric river. I never heard of this uh, phenomenon thing. I was like, what, what is it? Um, so I looked it up also. But uh, there were uh, mandatory evacuation. Uh, well, there were evacuation warnings for the Russian River area. 
And, wow, that's um, yeah, uh, shelter in place order. Uh, there was a wind gust knocked over a gas station in wow. uh, Daly City or Daly City, I guess it is. A pretty Daly good size uh, canopy. Just south of San Francisco proper. <clears throat> ah, okay. Um, there was a uh, dam failure uh, that prompted a flash flood warning in San Benito uh, County. Uh, evacuation warnings in Santa Clara. There was all kinds of, I never, I was like, all of a sudden, it almost sounds like a, a hurricane went through there. Yeah, just um, a lot of damage, a lot of damage out there. Yeah. Uh, it the, knocked uh, uh, part of the Capitola Wharf, I guess that's how you say it, uh, severely yeah. damaged by large waves. It's it's just a um, atmospheric river. I, I looked it up on NOAA's site. It, it's a relatively long, narrow region in the atmosphere, like rivers in the sky that transport most of the water vapor outside of the tropics. And wow. It's uh, like a column of vapor. It uh, moves with the weather and can carry uh, the equivalent uh, uh, to the average water flow of uh, the water at the mouth of the Mississippi River. And wow. when it makes landfall, it, it releases the uh, water vapor as uh, rain or snow. So uh, I... I don't know why I've never, I mean, I've studied different things over the years, and that apparently was not one of them. And the video's playing yeah. again. Um, That's just amazing. But, uh, I, you know, and I, mm-hmm. uh, they've been in a drought for what, like five years or 10 years or some phenomenally long time out in that area there. And mm-hmm. all this rain and snow uh, dumping on them is just too much too fast. It's just saturated the ground and it's Areas. It, says, uh, it says San Francisco has experienced the wettest 10-day period since 1871. <laughs> that was three hours ago. Oh, 1871. Wow. This is the wettest 10-day period since this. So, yeah, yeah it's, uh, it's just amazing. Um, 286 down trees. Um, just, uh, I mean, it's just incredible. Yeah, um, down trees knock out power. Never so I'm sure there's lots mm-hmm. of people without power. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's just uh, I've never heard of that phenomenon. I, I thought it was, I don't know, just I heard you say atmospheric something in a river, and, yeah. and I thought, wait a minute, there might be something there. Um, so uh, very interesting. But, uh, well, you know, anyway. Bomb, bomb cyclone. <laughs> I, you know, yeah. I uh, yeah. read this here yeah. talking about a bomb cyclone, which is the same yeah. type of thing, just you know, a cyclone type thing that's moving in with winds and uh, rain and all that, just like a, just like a hurricane. I mean, it just hit them. Yeah, looks like it. Well, yeah, that's amazing. Uh, yeah, yeah that's what's going on out there. Uh, so there's your weather segment for uh, this week. For all about and, uh, we'll, oh, yeah. <laughs> We've talked about weather a lot though, because that stuff affects the grapevines. Yeah. I mean, you know, this is it does. It really does. I mean, you get all that water on those grapevines, and they're dumping so much water, and mm-hmm. it, those vineyards will just out, yeah. yeah, it does, and it just sits there, and those grapevines yeah. set in water, and it's you mm-hmm. can kill them. I mean, it's yeah, uh, serious, uh, serious diseases. I guess there's uh, we've talked about some of the diseases. I think there's uh, um, yeah. uh, to the grapevines. It's I don't know. It's just uh, weather affects uh, it for sure. Everybody oh. else. Uh, yeah, yeah, no doubt. Uh, so, yeah. So, so well, anyway, um, let's see what else you got. Uh, okay. 
Okay, I just want to check the pronunciation. I forgot how to do that. Um, so next week, I guess if we're uh, closing out for tonight, we have uh, next week is January the 12th. And as uh, Ron told you in the beginning, Jen Pelka, who is the co-founder and CEO of Unfem, hopefully I said that, Wines. Unfem, U-N-E-F-E-M-M-E. We'll, we'll go with that for now until she calls us next week and she tells us something completely different. Yeah, we pronounce things thing. wrong all the time anyway, so that's nothing unusual for us. Part of the show. We, don't, we, we keep it in the show because it's live. Yeah, so, and uh, so when we talk to them, they go, no, that's yeah. not the way. This is how we pronounce it. Well, this is the way we're going to pronounce it for now. Um, yeah, that's right. Yeah. So, <laughs> next week at uh, 8 p.m. God, what am I thinking? 7 p.m. Eastern time. <laughs> it's 8 I don't now, know. But- uh, I was looking at the number, the number on my screen. There's an eight on there. Um, we will uh, talk to you all next week at 7 p.m. Eastern Time live on Facebook, uh, Mixcloud, YouTube, and, of course, Blog Talk Radio and wherever else we're at right now. So uh, thank you all for tuning in. And uh, did I cover all those? Yep. Yeah. We'll talk any, to you, any, uh, next week. any questions, mm-hmm. any comments, anything, email them to me. I'd love, I'd love to hear from some people. It's uh haven't heard that. Every once in a while, I beg for emails, and I never get them, but I'll beg again. <laughs> so, yeah. So, uh, when you stop begging, and you'll get 100 of them. <laughs> that's probably what will happen, yeah. But I can't help myself. So, uh, right. But welcome to the <laughs> new year, and welcome <laughs> to uh, hope you all had a safe and uh, uh, pleasant holiday season. And I guess it's officially over now, isn't it? Or do we have to wait until the 12th day of Christmas for it to officially be over? Uh, or March. I forgot what it is. March, uh, uh, yeah. March April. March 14th. Right. Well, Valentine's stuff is already out on the shelves. I saw that. Uh, well, of course. Oh, yeah. A couple of days ago. What yeah. is today? Thursday? How Tuesday I was out. stopped by the store and I saw uh, Valentine's stuff on the shelf. <laughs> Uh, you got to keep on top yep. of this stuff. <laughs> that's right. Early, uh, early warning signs right there. So that's right. Yeah. Valentine's, Valentine's Day. Day. Yeah. Yep. And the way prices uh, have went a great up, weekend. buy your wine now yeah. because by Valentine's it may be more expensive. <laughs> that's right. Blind <laughs> demand. Yeah. Uh, so uh, oh, okay. I'll quit yep. interrupting you. You can say goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> goodbye. <laughs> goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> next week. Have a good week. See you next week. Be safe. This concludes tonight's broadcast of All About Wine wine. with your host, Ron. (laughs) For show information, links to All About Wine on Twitter and Facebook, or to be a guest on this show, visit the show website at www.allaboutwinebtr.com. Archived shows are available for download on iTunes or on our show page at blogtalkradio.com forward slash allaboutwine. Thank you for listening. Drink responsibly, and we'll see you next time on All About Wine. Oh, wow, that is pretty quick when it does that. All right, to the green room.